Hello and welcome to the Atomic Impact Podcast designed to help business owners and leaders with short atomic episodes to impact your business for marketing, sales, business growth, personal growth, and much, much more. I'm your host, Jason Osborne, and I'm looking forward for your business and life to be positively impacted by this podcast. And as a thank you, just for listening, I'd like to give you free access to my LinkedIn mini course to help you get on the right track with LinkedIn to generate high quality leads without being spammy. All you need to do is go to www.impactforleads.com to get immediate access. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello. It is Jason Osborne here again with the Atomic Impact Podcast. And today we have Barry Pierpoint on as a special guest. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'll tell you who is even more excited about this is my son. Um, And you'll know about that in a second why my son is so excited for me to be interviewing Barry. But Barry um, has been doing some amazing things. And if you are a football fan, uh, you probably will have recognized his name. Uh, But Barry uh, has over 30 years of experience as a PLC, PLC chief executive and managing director with an impressive and continuous track record of performance and achievements with the range uh, with a wide range of services uh, of, of industries, including sport, leisure, hospitality, events, retailing, recruitment, training, publishing, and on and on and on. And uh, during this time, he gained a reputation for developing new opportunities and driving businesses forward. Um, he is best known for the success of transforming and developing Leicester City Football Club of chief, as the chief executive of, from a loss-making club to a profitable premiership business during his 10 years from 1990 to 2000. Uh, He was responsible for the turnover growth uh, from 2 million pounds to 24 million pounds within that period, which is just absolutely amazing. He oversaw stock market flotation, raised 12 million pounds for Leicester City PLC and developed new subsidiary companies. Uh, And and just, I could go on and on and on to what what, uh, Barry has done. So first of all, let me just say this, Barry, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Jason, and um, pleased to be here. Very kind of you to invite me. Amazing. Well, I um, am really excited about this. Um, I, for for people that may not know who I am, um, I am a Texan living in the UK. So I didn't really grow up with football, as we call it in America. We call it soccer, but I didn't really grow up with it much. Um, and I have an 11-year-old son, Ethan, who loves football. So he takes me to school practically every day. On, on football and what's going on. He's a massive Tottenham Spur, uh, Spurs, a Tottenham Hotspurs fan for, uh, again, any of my American friends that don't have a clue what we're talking about. He's a Tottenham fan though. Um, but uh, I told him I was interviewing you. He's like, oh, ask him this and this and this. So I've got some questions for my son, but also I really want to understand what you've been able to do, not only with Leicester City, but taking that experience as you translated that in over the last kind of 15, 20 years now, working with other corporations, companies in different industries and helping them in their growth. Because I know you sit as a non-executive director with other companies and interim CEO and all that. So you've got a wealth of wisdom experience that you can share with that. So let's kind of Let's kick off the first question with a football-related question, and then we'll tie that in to how people can apply that with uh, within their own businesses. Um, But what was the number one thing when you took over Leicester City? Because you said it was uh, uh, it was losing profit, like 
it's a loss maker, right? What was the number one thing that you changed when you took over at Leicester City and, and why? Well, you've got, to, you've got to bear in mind this was back in the 90s and the early 90s. And um, football clubs weren't as uh, switched on as businesses were uh, regarding running a business of football. Um, and me being a business guy, as opposed to a football player, went into Leicester City um, and looked at what um, my job was, was to go in there and develop the business side of football. Now, Leicester City was one of those clubs that was always aiming at the bottom of the league, had to sell lots of players to keep balancing the books, didn't make a lot of money or very rarely made any money. So what I noticed was when I first went there was that the culture wasn't really about customers. Um, it was more about fans and fans are, you know, can be a nuisance, get in the way. And there was no respect or no real um, uh, empathy with the fans at all. They, the club didn't have any sort of dialogue with them, uh, no dialogue with anybody in the in the city or the county, um, was known as a very introverted club. And consequently, what I noticed was that the culture uh, had to change because if you want to engage with people and want you to take their money off them and you want them to buy your products and services and buy tickets and buy eats and drinks, on match days, you've got to engage with those customers. You've got to also understand what their needs are, what their wants are. So one of the things I did was completely change the culture to becoming customer orientated, giving service value for money, raising standards, giving a lot of respect and appreciation, and also getting involved with the, with the fans and the customers to find out what they wanted from the football club and then make sure that we delivered what they wanted. Also make sure the staff were tuned in to what the customer required, i.e. the fans, and then therefore put that delivery out and make sure they got value for money. Because when I first went there, the Leicester City was very sort of archaic. It didn't really have a good rapport. Its communication was very poor, and it was very football focused on the point of just playing football and everybody else out, out there in the big wide world of Leicestershire well, just was not involved. There was no communication, no engagement, no nothing. So that's the biggest issue I faced was changing the, the complete culture of communication, engaging, finding out what people wanted and then giving it to them and delivering it to them. Yeah, yeah. Which it, it now kind of almost seems like, well, why wouldn't you do that? You know, um, but it, it's, it's amazing how even companies today have that same kind of ethos where they're very much focused on their product, but they're not really engaged with their prospects, their clientele and all of that. So how taking that information and, and that process of transforming that club around there, what, what are a couple of things that you did in Leicester city, but also you translate that into helping companies today to be able to really reach out to their prospects, their clients to have that engagement? I think one of the important things I believe in today and even then in the 90s is communication. And I still think today people struggle with communication. I don't think directors communicate with, well, not all companies, but some companies I've been involved with recently um, over the last five or 10 years, not all companies communicate with their staff very well. They don't keep them informed. They don't engage with them. They don't ask them for input and ideas. You don't make them feel part of a team. Um, and that's sad because it's, it's a one-way 
situation, management telling people this is going to happen, that's going to happen, without actually speaking to them and finding out what their thoughts and views are. And in my time as a CEO and as a managing director of different companies I've worked for, I've always put people first. I want to know what my managers and my staff uh, thoughts are on this idea or if we implement that. Or So it's a been, I've always been one for communicating everybody. I want them to feel part of the team. I want them to know that their thoughts and their ideas are just as important as mine and other people's are. And so that's what I've actually done and done. I've made sure that everybody feels part of the team. Their, their thoughts and ideas are welcomed. Uh, they're listened to. Um, if I don't necessarily agree with them, I'll give them reasons why it won't work or why we can't use their ideas. But at least they've had their say and their input. And I'll give you an idea, an example. When I was at Leicester City, we were building a, a, a new stand. And also I was working on a new stadium. What I did was make sure everybody from the car park attendant, the cleaners, right up to the management, find out what they wanted in a new stand, what they wanted in a new stadium. So we had the shopping list and everybody inputted into that uh, new building or that new stadium. So we had a complete 360 degree circle of input from everybody on the ground floor to the top floor. And that way we could then present the best possible building or stadium that we were talking about developing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's one of the things that I see oftentimes, and I'm sure you do all the time, Barry, where companies will create a product want what they think their clients want. Well, again, I use that to say an example. We wouldn't stock any merchandise or any leisure wear unless the fans forum, the retail fans forum, which was a, a combination of about 30 people from children right up to grandmas and granddads, we had them on a forum and like a conveyor belt, you know, you used to bring the thing, items out and say, would you buy this? And if 75% of the people said they'd buy it, we'd stock it. If they said they wouldn't buy it, we wouldn't stock it. So everything that we bought to sell to the fans had to be agreed by the fans forum. And that way, nobody could say to us, well, you've got a, a mug with Leicester City on it. We don't want to buy that. Well, we, you, the reason we'd put it in there is because 75% of the people on the panel said, the cross-section of fans said, yes, we'd buy it. So that was the what we did. And we it worked successfully, very successfully, because we were engaging with our customers, finding what our customers wanted, had those forums, and that's where the information came from. Plus the fact they give you all the ideas and opportunities of new products, new services to introduce. And that's what we did. I'm a great believer, and, and people are very important in life, in both social life, family life, and in business life, you must communicate, you must ask for their input, you must engage with them and make them feel part of that team. That's what we did. Yeah, that is that is just, that. that's really cool. I mean, it, just being able to say, would you buy this? <laughs> and if people, if you have 75% said yes, then you'd go with it. If not, then you wouldn't, which is brilliant. Correct. So for, for so for businesses right now, they they might go, oh yeah, that's easy for you, Barry. You, you literally had thousands upon thousands of fans that you could call upon and ask advice on. And, you know, they were supporters of Lesser City and all that. But I run a business and, you know, I don't have that much, uh, um, I don't have that many clients or whatever. What are some tips that you could suggest maybe that you, you give to your current um, clients that you work with within your kind of mentoring and non-executive director role of how of how companies 
can connect with their clientele to really understand what best services or products that they can provide to their, their clients? I think one of the important things that I used to do and still do is I talk to my clients regularly. Um, the moment they spend five pounds or, or 50,000 pounds, I talk to them regularly. I, I make sure that we're servicing them properly, that they're happy with the service, they're happy with the products. Are we just, you know, I chat to them, I engage with them. And at the same time, they give me feedback. They give me information. Um, but I take that time and trouble to do that. And too many times in life, I've noticed it, people don't do that sort of thing. They don't lower themselves to go and talk to their customers in, in the way I would do. And I would really get close to my clients, almost to the point where if one of my clients said that my my wife or my children are ill, I'd make sure I'd send them a, a, a get well card or a bunch of flowers just to say, you know, I'm thinking of you. Little things like that mean a lot to people. And by talking to your customers, by talking to your clients, they'll tell you what they, you need to know. They'll tell you whether the service is good. They'll tell you when things are not working right. But at least by having that rapport, when something does go wrong, you're better ready for them when they have a go at you because things aren't right. Um, but I'm a great believer in get everything right first and that way you'll have no problems later. Yeah, that's that's really good. One of the things you were you were just talking around that around um, get, getting advice, uh, listening, reaching out to your your clients, getting to know them, and all that stuff. One of the things that that I find really interesting, I'd love to just get your thoughts around this. You know, for for a lot of companies, um, they're not necessarily in the public eye, right? If you're running a business you're not in the newspaper all the time. You don't have thousands of fans critiquing everything you do and don't do all that sort of stuff, but you still have a lot of pressure. You have pressure, not only with maybe your staff and employees, but you have that pressure to make sure that you are doing a good job with stuff. So what, what was it like to be so public with the decisions you made? And cause I, I would assume, I'm just, just seeing, the culture here around around football like if a decision is made about a club it's known people people start ranting about it everywhere so what's it like knowing that you might make a decision that you're gonna you could get slated on people wouldn't maybe understand why that was made and how can Pete how can you relate that element to people that are running their businesses right now and 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 dealing with that kind of pressure well you know, everybody has to make decisions and sometimes you have to make decisions for the best interest of the business and, uh, and its staff and sometimes to make sure that you run your business successfully and profitably. And sometimes people don't like the decisions that you make. I mean, I've had a lot of decisions I've had to make in my life uh, for business. Um, not everybody's accepted them or liked them, but at the end of the day, um, you have to go what's best for the business. Um, Wherever possible, you've got to make sure you balance it with keeping your customers happy, uh, keeping your suppliers happy, keeping your staff happy, keeping your management happy. And even if you've got shareholders, keeping your shareholders happy. And, and that's something that's very difficult to do. When we were a PLC at Leicester City, we had shareholders. And the shareholders were institutions, were fans, were companies, were pension schemes, all sorts of people. We had to make sure we kept those people happy, as long as with the customers and the suppliers and everybody else that was involved. It's a very, very difficult balancing act. But good communication, setting a case out why you've done this rather than, than that, listening to people's 
arguments for and against, and then explaining to them how you've arrived at that decision and why everybody will benefit from that decision is the best way forward. Too many people or too many companies are insular. They don't talk to people enough. They keep everything to themselves. They just direct orders out. We're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing that. No consultation again, like I said earlier. And consequently, people's backs go up. I was close to everybody. I made it my business to be close to my customers, my suppliers, my staff, my management. And that way I could talk to them easily. I can get things across to them easily. They understood where I was coming from. They knew my vision, they knew my objectives, they knew my reasons behind things. And that way it made things easier for me to make difficult decisions. Yeah, which goes back to what you said at the very beginning communication communicate it out understand not 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 dictate it out communicate understand what what your staff what your employees what your fans want and you, your fans in in your case whoever's listening to this could be your clients right um what they want and as long as you're you're communicating that culture that's what i keep hearing over and over you say with that which is which is brilliant so that, that that's phenomenal well i think the trouble is in in some instances even today i mean i've had some battles with some big brands and some big corporations who were the managing director won't speak to me if i've got a problem and i'm not being satisfied and i'm not getting the right answers i have an issue with big companies where the ceos and the mds um you're told that they won't talk to customers well at the end of the day those customers are paying their salaries to sit in those big offices um Listen, I'm a ground floor guy. I work with everybody. And people used to write to me as a CEO. And if I want, the, you know, if they weren't happy about something, I personally talk to them back. I personally pick up the phone and speak to them. I'd write to them. I have issues with big corporations in this country where the managing director and the CEO don't want to talk to you, don't want to engage with you. They don't even care about you. And that's what I really get my backup. And there's some big name brands that I've had problems with because the MD and the CEO think they're too bigger than the customer. Let me just tell you one thing, the customer is king. CEOs and MDs are to a penny, simple as that. Yeah, yeah, and you can say it because you are one. <laughs> I've been there, done it, yeah. the teacher, but I tell you what, I've got a lot more out of my customers when I picked up the phone or answered their queries rather than just ignored them like some big companies I've had trouble with. You know, I, I won't go into names, but I've got some big names of people I've, I've had issues with. I spent thousands and thousands of pounds, and I believe that I wanted some answers. The company couldn't give me the answers. I've gone to the MD, and he didn't want to talk to me, didn't want to know. And I've got some call centre person. No disrespect to call centre people, but they can't make decisions, they can't take action, and they can't get things done. And I think that's why people get frustrated. And today's society of these telephones where you just press that button, press this button, do this, do that. That's why people get frustrated with large organizations. But the company service and the communication lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand that. Totally understand that. Okay, so let me ask you this question then. What's the biggest mistake you made when you were at Leicester City? Um, the biggest mistake that I made. Yeah, what was the biggest mistake and what did you learn from that? I think the biggest mistake, now this is personal now to me, the biggest mistake I made was working 24-7. Because I was enthusiastic, passionate, worked to high standards, um, breathed, lived, slept, 
the job because I enjoyed it that much. Um, I probably wanted to be a perfectionist. I think it was a detriment of my personal life and my social life. And I think that's a lesson I've learned 10 years after coming out of that job where, you know, I let the job become, I mean, listen, not because I couldn't cope with it because I was actually on top of the job, but because I loved it that much. I spent a lot of time there, very innovative with my team of people. We worked very hard and football is very demanding. Football isn't a nine to five job. Yeah. You know, you've got Saturday games, you've got night games, you've got Sunday games, away games. So that job to me was um, more than a job. It was a way of life. Yeah. And the way of life overtakes you. So, yeah, I think getting the balance right to the point where perhaps I was getting burned out towards the end of 10 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand that. And I think I think a lot of business owners can relate to that. You know, um, whether you whether you're an owner, whether you're you know C-suite executive, whatever, it, it, it's particularly if you love it. You know, if you're just doing the job to get paid money, that's different. You kind of just clock in, clock out. But when you really are passionate, inspired by what you do, um, it, it's hard to check out sometimes because it's like, why would you check out of something you love? Well, but having that balance is important. Football is very fast moving and it's constantly on the go. Um, it's highly contagious. It's it's political as well at times. Um, it certainly is when you've got fans whose moods change from one minute to loving you and the next minute hating you for whatever reason. So I just love the job. I mean, I, I, I've worked in three or four different professional football clubs as a CEO. I love the job, but it can, I get carried away with it. Now, I delegated, I had all the structures and things in place because people say, well, why did he work those hours? Well, because the job was also at night time. I was at, at events, I was a guest speaker, I was going to functions and, uh, you know, I was on the top table and I wanted a few, a few words or people would stop me in the street and say, tell me about what's happening this week at the weekend. So I was constantly 24-7, even though I was going out shopping in the evenings or weekends. People wanted to talk football, stop and chat to me in the supermarket or in the petrol station. Oh, Barry, what's happening this weekend? Oh, what, who's the team lineup? You know, and that. So I was, I, I'm always professional and I was always passionate, which I'm a passionate person anyway. And I really wanted to, you know, give the fans and the customers what they wanted is to keep them informed. Like I say, I, I'm a big communicator and I think that's sadly lacking today. Too many people tell me, I thought you were doing this. I assumed that was happening. I'm waiting for you to come back to me. All the things that really knock me because people should be following things up and chasing things, not waiting for things to happen. And, you know, that's, that's it. So my attitude was the biggest mistake was, you know, perhaps getting too passionate involved. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally understand that 100%. Um, well, it's, I, I, I have got so many more questions to be honest with you, but it's the Atomic Impact Podcast. We do shorter episodes. So um, Barry, you you work with companies now, organizations as a non-executive director, um, interim CEO. So if people want to know how to get in touch with you and learn more about maybe how they could work with you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Well, they can, they can either contact me by my mobile, which is a good number. I'll give you the number now. It's 07720-406806. Or they can uh, drop me a line on my email, Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E at bpmms.co.uk. 
I'll repeat that once more. Barry Bearderbar, i.e. at bpmms.co.uk or they go to my website, BP Management and Marketing Services uh, on the website there. So they can contact me. Happy to help anybody as I can. Um, I'm still learning and people are still learning from me. Um, and, you know, put it this way, in my years and years and years of experience and, and, and working in different roles, I have a lot of information I can pass on to other people that, you know, if I want any help at all, happy to, uh, to oblige. Amazing. Amazing. And um, so I'll put all that in the show notes and so people can be able to just click on that and all that, but I definitely uh, check out what Barry's doing. It's amazing. Um, Barry, thank you so much for taking the time out and being on the podcast today. You've given some amazing value. and I really appreciate it. Thank you. There's a tip for your son. The reason why Leicester City and Bradford, because I know you live up the north there, one's in one area and has one set of coaches, another is in another area and different set of coaches. They're both big clubs, they're both nice clubs, and every football club works to its own way of life. So there's no difference. They just have different coaches, but they all do the same thing. Yeah, thanks for that. Because he he was he was asking about you going from Leicester City then to Bradford and all that, and so that's great. I appreciate that little tip and very wonderful. <laughs> Listen, thanks. So see, there you go, guys. I th- Take, bear what Barry just did is a masterclass and what he was just saying he was he I was talking pre-show about uh what my son and I was asking about him moving from um from Leicester City to Bradford and he took that time to answer that and just those little things like that if you can apply those in your business make all the difference in the world so Barry thanks for living out what you're talking about so thank, and thank you. you for having me on the show and good luck and best wishes cheers Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Atomic Impact Podcast. And as a reminder, please go to www.impactforleads.com to get free access to my LinkedIn mini course to help you get on the right track with LinkedIn to generate high quality leads without being spammy. And please also like and share this episode with others and leave a comment as I'd love to hear from you. This is Jason Osborne and I look forward to sharing the next episode of the Atomic Impact Podcast with you.